I never know what to say when these first come on, but welcome to the show. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And I say us as in uh, Bullet Night. Bullet's up in his cat tree. He's my co-host, even though he doesn't always participate. But he is here in spirit. He's here in a body and soul. Big, furry, chunky body. Uh, and this is episode 135. So thank you again for all your support and just listening. Uh, just trying to do some good out here. Uh, even if I don't feel like it. But... Yes, thank you again. I know I say thank you a lot, but I am very grateful for anybody who supports this because this was something I just did out of nowhere, and now it's becoming something. I never thought it would be what it already has become, and hopefully it becomes more. Uh, yeah, so I want to jump right into the show. Another fantastic guest. Uh, I, I do want to say, like, offhand, it's not easy finding these people, even though some, I would say more of late, have reached out to me. Um, but pod matches, I always say it, it's the best method. Uh, yes, I've have found some off of social media and obviously through friends and other things, but pod match is the best. Uh, I, I don't get paid through them or anything. I'm just very grateful that I found them. So, uh, but yes, if anyone's wondering or wants to start up a podcast, it's beyond just pod match and Instagram and things of finding guests. You have to realize, like, if you're gonna do an interview-based show, it's not as simple as it looks. It does. It's you know, a lot of people don't want to do it. People that there's people that will be perfect for your show, and they won't get back to you, or they'll say they're not interested. Or um, you know, there's people that I really want on the show, but I they're so insulated, especially celebrity. Well, there's Bullet, my buddy, um, and you can't get to them because of you know they either don't run their own social medias or there's so they have so many fans that they just don't get back to them there's a few I've, and i'm not even trying to get like the highest end of celebrities because i want people that make sense for the show but um there's a few that just won't get back to me i don't even think it's i don't think they've ever even seen it because i think the ones i've gotten gotten uh or attempted to get a hold of i think they would do the show so but anyway but yeah, so if you are doing this, just know it is a grind. I am nowhere near where I want to be. But will you stop moving stuff with your tail? Um, I have this poster board thing done for a fundraiser, and he's just knocking things over with his tail. Big, long, long tail. Aren't you, big guy? Um, do you want to say anything before we jump into the guest? Hey. Yep, that's good enough for me, too. Uh, he, he, like, jumped and hit his nose against it. I don't know if he liked it. but Good boy. All right, guys, I'm sorry. I'm bullshitting. But, yeah, I just, like I said, anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and, um, just, yeah, I've given out my number before. So um, just get a hold of me if you need any advice for anything, but especially in podcasting. It's, 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 it's like I said, it looks easier, especially when you have – Plenty of people behind you when you have companies that'll help you out. I don't. I'm just some guy in an apartment built this little studio around a coffee table and just bought decent equipment. Very good equipment, not decent, but still. Uh, yeah, but anyway, take care of yourselves and let's just listen to this fantastic person tell this story, I guess.
Okay, guys, back again. Um, so one thing I wanted to kind of get into, something I'm going to do next year is kind of do these like one-off topics. Um, not strictly interview-based because, um, you know, I can do that anytime and, and I continue, I will continue to do so. But uh, there are certain topics that I think are very important, not only to the show, but just in general to talk about. Uh, and our, our next guest is, he brings that to the table. I, I You know, the more I read about him, uh, the more I realize he's really doing a lot of good. Uh, you know, he took a bad situation and turned it into something positive and, and helping people with disabilities, uh, you know, get their social security and disability and, and just get information out there to help others because I know a lot of people struggle with it. Um, so you want to introduce yourself and obviously tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, thank you. My name is Spencer Bishens. I worked for the Social Security Administration for over 10 years. For the first four years, I worked at the Appeals Council, which handles uh, appeals of disability decisions. And then I moved to a hearing office in uh, Washington State, and I actually wrote disability decisions for administrative law judges for seven years. So during that time, I wrote almost 2,000 decisions. And when I left the agency, in 2021, I had a lot on my mind, as you can imagine. I had a lot I wanted to say about the process, about how things actually work as compared to how Social Security wants you to think that they work. And uh, I wanted to get that all into one resource that claimants and their family members and representatives could use moving forward to help people understand the process and give themselves the best possible chance of having their claims approved. Right. For sure. Yeah. So I'll quickly go into my thing because I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but so, uh, you know, I've, I've had social security since I was a child for, for being legally blind. And, um, I eventually moved to another town from Philadelphia and, you know, I had to get everything switched over and all that and whatever. So then I actually really started working. And they started taking all my money. Like, so I was getting maybe a hundred, you know, I went from like seven thirty or whatever it was to a hundred and something. And they just kept taxing and taxing it. Um, and they, they kept every time I would get anywhere. Cause I would owe them money because it, it, they would give me a whole month of 700 and something. And they were supposed to take it out, but they didn't. So they just kept putting me further and further back to where I just kept owing. At one point I owed like close to $2,000. Um, and at the time I was just starting to work. So I didn't have that kind of money to just give it away. I may have had $2,000 in my name, but that would have been stupid just to give it away. Um, and so uh, one of the things I, I discovered going to the social security building, um, and I realize now why they have security because so many people want to just burn that building down because they go in there. A lot of these people are very rude to you. A lot of the, like the secretaries or whatever you want to call them at the desk, uh, and, and you're trying to have conversations with them and they almost treat you like you're like a burden because you, you go in there. And again, this is my experience. So I don't, you know, I'm sure there's some nice people out there that are helping people, but there's a lot of people that are going in there and they're like, Hey, I have a disability and they treat you like you're just trying to suck money off of the government. And I, I get what they're, I understand how, and because there are people do that, do that. I get that. But for me, I don't have a choice at that point, you know, now I'm, just starting to work, you know, my, my eyes are over my eyes. I do have a disability and it's already bad enough. My life isn't, you know, especially at that point, I wasn't mentally prepared to deal with a lot of what was coming my way. Cause now I'm really 
delving into adulthood and taking on my own, uh, you know, account to do my own thing and, and try to live my life without any, you know, guidance or help from my family. And, you know, when I wanted to get disability, they told me, hey, um, it's going to take you 10 years um, because you haven't put any time in this and this and that. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. I know someone who got it and they got it within like a year, year and a half. And they wouldn't listen to me. And they just, they just, they said, go, go away, basically. And I was like, can I talk to somebody high up, a manager or something? They said, no, we won't let you talk to anyone. And, and the anger I got, of course, the security guard gets up. And it's like, Jesus, like, I can't even, like, fight for myself. Uh, and it made me feel really cruddy, like, really bad. Uh, obviously, like, yeah, I really was super angry and enraged. And eventually I knew somebody who helped me get disability much quicker than 10 years. Um, and, you know, so an experience like that, it, it, you know, I think about it every so often when I hear someone else who's struggling to get it, and I feel terrible for them. So I'm, I'm glad to, like, talk to someone like you who kind of knows what's going on. Yeah, and you brought up a lot of different issues there, um, and most of them are in the book. The one thing I don't talk about in the book is Social Security, uh, as you can imagine, does obviously need to have high security presence. Sure. Uh, yeah. the, the hearing office that I worked at, we had a security guard. We obviously had uh, a double set of locking doors because there are people on a quite a regular basis that come in and just straight out threaten the employees uh, at regular times we would have evacuation drills and all that right. but but all of the the eligibility issues uh, that you talked about thankfully those are all in the book okay. uh, I actually open up the book with a discussion about the difference between the two programs, the Social Security Disability Insurance Program and the Supplemental Security Income Program, a lot of people don't realize how strict the eligibility requirements are for SSI, the asset and income limits. As you understand now, they're really strict. And Absolutely. if you work even just a little bit, you end up having this deduction from SSI, and if you work just a little bit more, you can end up uh, below zero, which presents another issue, which is that you might owe the government money, right? Which, yeah. that's the worst case scenario. You go applying for government benefits because you need help, and then you end up not too long after that owing the government money. That's called an overpayment, and that is also addressed in the book because that's not an uncommon situation either where things aren't updated quickly enough or you try and inform social security that you're working and how much you're earning and it takes them a year or two to finally adjust your benefit amount. And yeah, that does happen. Um, and the other thing that you talked about was what can I do about all of this? Yeah. Uh, one thing which I'm sure you discovered is hiring a social security representative can be really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the themes of my book is this is not the time to DIY. You will really need to have an experienced, qualified social security representative, many of whom are attorneys, but they don't need to be. There are a lot of good non-attorney representatives as well. And I talk about in the book who they are, 
how to find them, how they get paid, what they do for you. But the other major theme of the book is you can't just have a, an attorney. You can't just have a representative and say, I got a guy who's handling everything. You have to really be an educated claimant yourself. You have to know what SSI is, what you have to prove, what the limits are. Because, yeah, the Social Security front desk people, uh, it seems like they were really rude to you. It could have been that they were having a bad day. It could have been that you were the hundredth person they were helping that day. Yeah. Those, uh, I do talk about who works in a social security office and those, those front desk people, the basically all the employees who are not judges or attorneys, they have a lot of work and they really don't get paid very much. Oh, so I know that. Yeah. Well, it, like- in some ways, yeah, go ahead. No, because when I was, I mean, I could, you know, I, I didn't, that's the thing, like what you were saying, like I didn't have the knowledge to combat what she was saying. I knew, like I could discern, like clearly, like she was wrong. Like I knew there was no way it was going to take me 10 years to get SSDI. But I didn't know what to combat it with. Like I didn't know how to fight it back because I, that's, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, a young adult trying to figure out how to make it in this world and trying to, you know, deal with my mental health and my disability and all these things. And I'm just going in there just to ask questions about how can I transfer over from SSI to SSDI? And she throws something that I never saw coming. Like, well, yeah, it's going to take you 10 years. And I'm like, no one ever told me that. And so I'm yeah, stupid. No one's ever told you that because that's not a thing, right? There's nothing in the social security regulations saying you have to wait a certain amount of time before you get this ability. So whatever she was trying to communicate, she obviously didn't communicate it very well. No. Um, but, but what she could have said is, you know, you have to apply for SSDI. You have to go through the process of being found disabled. You have to give us sufficient evidence and you have to convince us that you have a medical impairment that somehow impacts your mind or body. And, this is the part that a lot of people forget, but as you know, this this is the part where a lot of people get tripped up and get denied. That impact on the mind or body has to prevent you from working for a full 12 months. Mm-hmm. So a lot of short-term impairments don't count, and a lot of impairments that people have that may not completely prevent all full-time work, that's not going to get you disability benefits either. So now so it's a very, very high standard. So let's say I'm newly disabled. Does that, would that fall into that? Like, let's say I'm paralyzed, like I'm in a wheelchair, but I've only been paralyzed for a month. I wouldn't be able to get it. Right. So there are, there are three, uh, three parts to that, that last part of the definition. It's the government. So everything's complicated, right? Of course. So a medical impairment that impacts your ability to work, that has impacted your ability to work for 12 months already, so in the past, mm. that is likely to impact your ability to work for 12 months. So that's what the example you're mentioning going into the future. Or the third one, and these cases do exist, is likely to result in death. Oh. So if someone is diagnosed with some kind of terminal cancer and a doctor can certify this is likely to result in death, you know, maybe within the next 12 months. So you might not live for a full 12 months that then that meets the definition as well. Yeah. Now I know a lot of people usually start off with SSI and then go to SSDI. Can you start 
straight from SSDI and skip SSI altogether? Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and, and this is also in the book. Um, there's a section later in the book about child cases. Um, a lot of people don't realize that people under the age of 18 can also qualify, but only for the SSI program. And that's because the SSDI program is an earned benefit. People work, they pay the OASDI tax, and they collect Social Security credits, and that's how they qualify for the SSDI program. But you have to be 18. You have to be an adult to qualify for Social Security disability insurance benefits. And so anyone under the age of 18 can only get SSI. But for people over the age of 18, they can apply for either program. And actually, it gets even better for some people because you can actually get Title II benefits. Those are SSDI benefits without having to earn the credits yourself. This is a very specific and nuanced part of the regulations, but I do talk about it in the book. Uh, it's called, it, it's, it's got an even more confusing name. It's called Disabled Adult Child, okay. um, which like, what is an adult child, right? Well, you're an adult, but you're someone else's child. And the way that works is you can get SSDI benefits as long as you're at least 18 years of age on someone else's account, usually a parent's account, okay. which means you don't have to work and earn the credits yourself. Right. So and what, what you're saying, because yeah, with Social Security, it was SSDI, but kind of about what you get back is how much you put into it, how much you work. and it, Exactly. So it, is it that you're getting the benefits from whoever, like your parent, whoever took over? Exactly. They're, exactly. They're because when you're 18... When you're 18, you haven't worked and earned enough credits, right? Right. Well, so Social Security understands there are some impairments like intellectual disability or a cognitive disorder, uh, vision impairments, where you may never be able to work and earn your own credits. So understanding that the law crafts this very unique way to qualify where you can get SSDI, but on someone else's earnings record. And so, yeah, you would get the amount that that person qualified for, but there are a lot of requirements for that. And I talk about those in the book for most people getting SSDI. It's because they've worked, they've earned their own credits. They've paid the tax. They have their own disability insurance. It is an insurance program. And, uh, and then they, most people will file and get disability benefits based on their own account, which I'm guessing is probably your situation. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that, that's the far more common situation. Yeah. I mean, another thing that people don't realize, with, with, especially with the insurance is like, you know, you can get your SSDI and like, then two years later you have to get this insurance. It's going to cost you a hundred and I don't know what mine is like 136 or something like that. So when it says you're getting like, I don't know at this point I'm getting like 1100 or something. I don't know what it is because I've actually built it up pretty well, but I'm actually getting nine something back. So, you know, but for the first two years, it's like, it's like a nice cool breeze. You're getting all of what you're seeing. And then, you know, Medicare kicks in and you're like, Oh, now I got to start paying 
Um, a lot of people don't see that coming. I know a lot of people all of a sudden just saw their money start going down. And I'm like, oh, that's just because you're paying for insurance. Uh, it's, it's not the same. So because so, you're paying for Medicare, though, not for Social Security. Right. But I mean, um, it gets taken but, out of your disability. But a lot of people see that as a benefit. Sure. But a lot of people see that as a benefit. And there are even people who will apply for Social Security disability benefits. Just because they need the Medicare coverage, right? right. Um, I know Medicare can sometimes be a pain, but it's it's. I've heard that it's a lot easier to deal with than a lot of private insurance companies. Yeah, and they say like you should take it immediately because if you try to get it down, you because you can deny it, but if you just try to get it down the road, it's much harder to get. You really have to fight for it. So when it when it's brought up to you to, to take it, you should take it. But what I'm I'm just saying right. is there's a lot of people who all of a sudden they don't know about this insurance part of it. And they're just like, cause they, right. a lot of people don't explain it to them. So two years later, like, you know, and you know, two years can go really quick. So you're just kind of yeah. breezing through your life. And then all of a sudden you see your money going down and it's a shock to them. Now the people who are informed about it, yeah, they're good with it. Um, but once you realize right. how good so, insurance is, you're, you're okay with it. You get used to it. So people who are receiving supplemental security income, SSI, do not qualify for Medicare, but a lot of times people receiving SSI will qualify for Medicaid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, people receiving Title II benefits, SSDI, uh, Social Security Disability Insurance benefits, after a certain amount of time can qualify for Medicare. And I talk about uh, in the book uh, how that happens and when that kicks in. A lot of people don't realize that there are a lot of people in the United States receiving Medicare under the age of 65, but it is possible. And a lot of people find it to be a significant benefit such that there's even a type of claim that someone can apply for where they're only trying to get Medicare, uh, where there's not even social security disability involved. That's a very unique and specific and rare claim for people like teachers mm. who pay into a pension system. And so they don't pay the social security tax. Okay. So for people who don't pay the social security tax, they can't get SSDI, right? But they can still get Medicare. And, and again, I talk about all of that in the book. Um, but yeah, Medicare is one of those things that, a lot of people maybe don't even realize they're going to qualify for, but when you can't afford treatment um, for a back condition, a knee condition, mental health treatment, and and then you finally realize you're going to be able to get that treatment with Medicare, mm. uh, a lot of people see that as a significant benefit. Sure. Uh, one thing we were talking about a second ago is when when you said that like a parent can. Uh, you know, basically put into the disability that doesn't matter how much they make. Right. Because they're doing a regular job and their child is unable to work, but there's, there's no tax on how much the parent can work. Right. Well, the parent is the one who would pay the tax throughout their working life, earn the credits. And then it's usually a parent uh, with, with someone eight, you have to be age 18 to 22 for this type of claim. So normally age 18 to 22, you're talking about a parent and the parent would have paid the tax for 20, 25 years. And so the amount is based on the parent's earnings record and the amount that the parent would be able to earn because for this type of claim, 
And I'm not exactly sure why this is the case, but there is one additional requirement that the parent needs to either be dead, retired, or disabled. So uh, a lot of times the parent will be disabled, but a lot of times what will happen is the 18-year-old can't actually qualify at age 18 because the parent is still working, and they have to wait another 10 years until that parent files for retirement, and then at that point they can file uh, their their disabled adult child claim. I know this is super confusing. It's in the book. This is a really confusing type of claim, uh, and it's one that a lot of people don't know about, but it's great when it's there to serve people because a lot of times people will apply for SSI thinking, I didn't work. I didn't earn my own credits. I guess SSI is my only option. But then to find out that there is an SSDI option is really fantastic for those people because, as you know, SSI is, it doesn't pay a lot. There's an offset if you start working. It's really unstable. And it's just, you can lose SSI so easily and not even realize it. So it's it's really good to have that SSDI option whenever you have have that. It's like an SSDI is is still there's a lot of restrictions within that too, but it's like even with SSI, like I had to the reason why I had so much money saved, which it ended up being a benefit towards me, but you can't have more than two thousand in your bank by the end of the month. And it was like, Wow, like what am I gonna do? If I'm not spending my money, like I'm living with my grandma at the time and I'm paying her like a couple hundred dollars for rent. But I'm like, I'm, ma- I'm making more than $200 a month. So what do I do? So I just started, you know, putting it in a lockbox and all that. Um, but then when you get the SSDI, there's still limitations, but it, it's way different. And, and you can get your full amount and you're not getting, I mean, you could lose it or, you know, they, you can end up owing them money if you go over. But you have to really, it's more about by the end of the year. And it's, it's, it's much harder to lose it. I mean, you can definitely lose it. It's not easy. But it's not hard either. Where SSI, it's like you're you're walking on eggshells the whole time if you're working. Yeah, time. yeah. There is a section in the book about how benefits can terminate, and and I discuss the program separately because, as you pointed out, it is very different. The thing with SSI is it's really there just to make sure you don't become homeless and you don't starve, and and it doesn't even necessarily do that all of the time. No, but it's 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 really there just to make sure you have a roof over your head and there's food and nothing else. And at the point where you build up any assets, the the government's position is we'll use your own money. And if you have absolutely none, meaning under two thousand dollars, if you have absolutely nothing, we'll help you. But you have to maintain that state of absolutely nothing. Whereas the reason the SSDI program doesn't have that requirement is that it's an earned benefit. So I have seen cases before where doctors who make $200,000 a year can't work anymore and file for disability benefits. And that's allowed. The, The Title II SSDI program is an earned benefit. Everyone who pays the tax can claim and receive that benefit. And that's why there isn't that asset 
limit for the SSDI program because it is an insurance program, whereas SSI, even though you have to qualify medically, is what someone who is hostile to the program might refer to as welfare. Like we're just keeping you alive versus SSDI, which is something you work and you earn. And that's why it's harder to take it away. But as you pointed out, SSDI can still end, particularly if you're working. And so you have to really be uh, up, up to date on that. And you have to make sure you understand what's going on. And that's why there's really two themes throughout the book that I, I stress over and over. One of them is have a representative, but the other one is you have to be an educated claimant and an educated beneficiary recipient. You can't just have my guy helping me. You have to know all of the rules yourself. And it's a lot. It's a lot to know and it's a lot to understand and it's a lot to remember. But you have to, you have to do that yourself. You have to know what's going on. You have to know what you need to prove. Which is why when you went into a social security office and said, I just want to know what I need to do. It was really frustrating for you because it's not their job to help you understand the process. And you didn't know where to go to have the resource to understand the process. And I understand that feeling. And that's why I wanted to put everything that I had learned in my 11 years with the agency into one resource that someone could have. It's called Social Security Disability Revealed. Why it's so hard to access benefits and what you can do about it. And it covers everything from before I file for benefits, when I file, what I'm initially denied, the hearing level, appeals, uh, benefit termination. It, it covers everything. Now, why did you, I mean, obviously I know why you wrote it, but was it just the frustration of seeing how many people were getting screwed over and the lack of information that was out there? It was the frustration of not having things all in one place. Uh, there's the Social Security website and the agency just try and communicate some information. But there is a difference, as you can imagine, between the way Social Security wants you to think things work and the way things actually work. Yeah. Uh, can I give you one example of this? Yeah, please. Um, so I heard someone talk about this recently. Uh, someone said, well, isn't this great that Social Security has this compassionate allowance system? In other words, if you have a really bad condition, maybe a terminal condition, you can, as part of your application, you can say that you have this extreme need and you need your case heard quicker. Ah, and that's a great thing. And Social Security put out a press release about how they're being compassionate with getting cases decided faster. Well, that's what's in the Social Security press release. And when you hear that, you might think, wow, that's really great. Except what I know from working on the inside for judges who actually look at the cases and write the decisions is that for a lot of judges, if they see a case marked critical, what they think is this claimant's trying to game the system. This isn't all judges, but some judges who might be leaning towards approving a claim when they see that it's marked critical, if they don't think that it was truly 
a life-threatening situation. Now they, they're not sure if they can trust what the claimant is saying. And now maybe they're leaning towards not approving the claim at all. And that absolutely does happen. So we have a situation where someone's trying to get benefits faster and ends up not getting benefits at all. They get an unfavorable decision. And so that's just one example of where there's this dichotomy of here's what the agency says, but here's how things actually work when you talk about these judges and these social security employees as humans who have their own biases and their own ways of making decisions. And that doesn't always align with what the agency wants you to believe. Yeah, that's got to be very frustrating for anyone to hear that because there's, there's a lot of people who really are critical and they really need it. I know someone, she has a, a chronic, one of those chronic pain illnesses and, you know, she can barely stand for a long period of time. She can't work and she's trying, she's been trying for the last two years to get disability and they just keep, keep denying her and keep denying her. And she's 100% disabled and it's, she, she could definitely use the money and the insurance and, and they just keep denying her and she don't know why. And yeah. And this is one of the things that I learned uh, that you're not going to find anywhere. And so I decided I need to, to, to write a book and I needed to put this in my book, which is almost everyone who files for disability and who gets denied. And again, at the hearing level, I only saw claims where someone had been denied at least once most uh, most of the cases twice before they get to the hearing level. So every case that I saw, someone thinks they're disabled, truly believes they cannot work, and yet has been denied. And what I realized after handling those cases for so long was re there's not really a whole lot of fraud happening within Social Security. I can see this person's earnings record. I know they're not working. I get to see this person's medical records. I know that they have medical conditions. And so doing that for a long period of time made me realize every one of these claimants truly believes they have medical impairments that prevent them from working. So this concept that we sometimes hear in the news of, Fraud, waste, and abuse. People love that term, fraud, waste, and abuse. But it that's not really a thing. Yeah, there are a few isolated instances of fraud on the system, but actually that's more likely to happen from a judge or a doctor or a lawyer. It's really unlikely to happen from a claimant because you have to have such extensive medical records. There's just no way to fake that. And so what you then have to realize is when every claimant is in the situation that you just described from that, that person that you just described, the judges are seeing, uh, they, they do 50 hearings a month. So they're seeing 50 people just like that every month, 12 a week, about three to four hearings per day. The attorneys writing the decisions are writing about that many decisions. The front office staff that are helping to gather the medical records, they're seeing even more cases because they're helping gather the medical records for the entire office. So from the individual's perspective, that person is thinking, 
I have these conditions, I can't work, why is nobody listening to me? Well, it's not that nobody's listening, but it's that there are tens of thousands of other people just like you, and the social security judges and attorneys and employees, they can only really devote so much time to looking at each case. So it's not that nobody's listening, but it's just a really, really high standard to show that you can't do any work that exists in significant numbers of the national economy. And the other thing is the judges are not, they're supposed to be independent decision makers, but they're really not. First of all, they try and keep their approval rate to 50% or less because they, they don't want to be paying too many cases. And for a lot of them, it's actually way less than 50% because the judges are actively incentivized by the agency to not approve too many cases. So, um, Isn't that kind of screwed up, though? They have to like keep a quota, like a certain number? I mean, well, it's not, kind of, it's not kind of screwed up. It's just screwed up. Okay, yeah. Right? The judges should be, and they tell you, I'm an independent decision maker. And they should be independent decision makers. But at the same time, the agency hires a certain personality to be a judge. They hire certain people with certain backgrounds to be judges. And of course, there's a job interview. So they're talking to that person, understanding what kind of judge that person is going to be. They uh, understand whether or not that person is likely to pay claims or deny claims. They try and gauge how sympathetic that person might be because every, every claimant and every story has, is, deserves some sympathy, but the agency doesn't want a 100% pay rate. So oh, yeah, they, they couldn't possibly justify that to Congress, right? Right. Well, and there are people that aren't, you know, as sickly. There are people that are trying to milk the government. That's the thing. That That's really what screws it up for a lot of us is there are people that are literally just going, hey, I'm overweight and I'm eating myself into a chair and now I want benefits. And then there are people. That, are- that, that doesn't really happen as often as you would think. Right. But the thing is, there are people who have trouble standing and walking, can't lift a lot. They've also got mental health impairments like anxiety and depression and they can't work and they truly believe they can't work. But the thing is the standard for disability isn't whether the claimant believes he or she can't work. It's whether independent expert witnesses, a medical expert, a vocational expert say there are or are not jobs in the national economy. So for people who believe they can't work, if when presented with their impairments and limitations, a vocational expert says, no, there are jobs in the national economy that person can do, and here's three of them, well, the judge takes that expert testimony and then denies the claim. And I, all of part three in the book is the hearing level, who the judges are, who the attorneys are, how they're hired, how they're evaluated, who is looking at your medical records, who appears at your hearing. I go through everything in part three of the book. Yeah. What I mean though is like, and if you have an upcoming hearing, it's really important that you understand all of that 
before you get to your hearing. You don't want to get to your hearing and not know who the vocational expert is or what their role is, even if you have a representative. It's really important that you take ownership of that situation and that you know what's going to happen before you get there. Yeah. What I'm saying, though, is with that gray area, people knowing that there are people trying to take advantage of it, they have to have that thought in the back of their mind that not everyone in there is genuine about their disability because there are people who can work. And, you know, mental health is another one which I'm very passionate about. But mental health does throw a huge problem into things because if mentally someone doesn't think they can do something, it's challenging because you can't tell someone they can or can't. But, I mean, I guess some of these judges can. They can tell you if you're disabled or not. But... I think also it's frustrating a lot of these judges don't have any disabilities themselves because who are you to tell someone they have a disability or not? Because there's a lot of people that do have rare disabilities that most people haven't heard of and it affects them in a way that they can't work. But if you're not really, you know, up to date on what that disability causes, then you may not think twice to give it to them. Well, not only that, think about the judge's job. Judges, the judge's salaries are on $180,000 per year, and their job is to sit in a chair at an air-conditioned office. Mm-hmm. So they're getting people coming to them who are warehouse workers, who are firefighters, people who have really heavy, really taxing, really physical jobs a lot of the times, and who then, as a result, have back impairments, knee impairments, shoulder rotator cuff impairments, People whose just their bodies are just worn out from decades of overuse. And those people come in front of the judge and say, my body just can't handle it anymore. And this lawyer who went to college, went to law school and has had a sit down job their entire life is exactly is telling you whether or not you can go back to lifting 75 pounds in a warehouse. Right. It's, it's a little absurd when you think about it like that. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of times the, the judges don't have these medical impairments. But I will say this. The SSA staff does get a lot of training for a variety of body systems and a variety of medical impairments. And I don't want your listeners to come away thinking, oh, someone can just say from a mental health perspective, I can't work. No, there still needs to be medical records. Yeah, sure. um, in the case of mental health, uh, counseling, therapy, psychological records, the agency will send the person to see their own uh, doctor, whether it be a medical doctor or a psychiatrist or psychologist. And so the judge is looking at your treatment records, but they may also, they don't necessarily have to rely on that alone. They may also say, I want you to see an independent doctor paid for by the agency so I can get an independent evaluation and understand what's going on. But the thing that you have to remember is when you say, well, there's all these other people who may, maybe they can work, but I can't work. But that's every claimant who thinks that, right? So when every single claimant thinks they're the one who's truly disabled and it's the other people who are causing the problem, what you have is, thousands and tens of thousands of claimants who all think they're the one who deserves the benefits. And that's what the social security hearing office staff and the judges and the attorneys who actually write the decisions. That's what they have to work with. And 
and, and it is based, it's based on the evidence and on the claimant's testimony at the hearing. I saw plenty of cases and I wrote plenty of decisions that were unfavorable where I did not think that person met the definition of disability. Whether they could ever work again, maybe they couldn't. Someone could definitely have a situation where their impairments are so bad that I can tell that person can't work, but where the evidence doesn't meet the very strict agency definition of disability. Because the agency's definition of disability is not that you're ever going to actually work again. It's theoretical, right? It's, in theory, is there a job somewhere in the national economy that you could possibly do? And if the answer is yes, you're not disabled under Social Security's definition. So, Well, and another thought that a lot of people don't take into consideration is that people with disabilities, regardless if you're getting Social Security or disability, a lot of people with disabilities, we, it's hard for us to find jobs anyway. But that, doesn't fi- that, that has nothing to do with can you work. You can apply for jobs and you can physically work, but just because uh, the workplace isn't, is unfair and they won't allow you to work for them, that, that still doesn't apply for, oh, you can't work, right? That's exactly right. Uh, whether or not you could ever find a job, whether or not you could be hired, whether or not these jobs exist yeah. in your community, if someone's limited to sedentary work, sit-down type work, there are a lot of places, a lot of small towns in America where there just are no sit-down jobs. There are restaurants, there are hotels, there are factories, there are warehouses. Uh, I read an article one time and the person said, the only sit-down job in my town was the person at the Social Security office. I had never seen a sit-down job outside of that office where I live. But the vocational expert who's doing a national analysis is going to say, oh, yeah, here's three sedentary jobs in the United States that you can do, and then you're not disabled. So... Yeah, whether or not those jobs exist where you live, even if they do, whether you could be hired, whether you could actually do that job for 40 hours per week, that's just not a consideration that the agency takes into account. The judge is only looking at, again, the judges can only apply the law, right? So blame the law here, not the actual judges for this part of it, but the law is, if there's any work that you can do in the national economy, even when your impairments are taken into account, you're not disabled. Yeah, you not- may not be able to get that job. You may not like doing that job, right? Sometimes the jobs that the, the vocational experts offer are dishwasher. Uh, there's one unbelievably called nut sorter where you literally sort nuts. Yeah. Uh, eyeglass repairer. Um, the Dictionary of Occupational Titles, where they get these jobs from, hasn't been revised since the early 1990s. And so, believe it or not, I think telegraph operator is still in there. Yeah, because they're not, they're not but, worried about whether you can pay your rent. They're not worried about, it, it's about physically, can you do a job? It, it has, they don't care about where you live or anything. Physically like and mentally, yeah. And mentally. And yeah, exactly. It's a national analysis. Can you do any job that exists? Anywhere in the national economy in significant numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's all unfair. Uh, given given it's, your it's, physical and mental limitations. Yeah, it's all unfair, but it's it, sometimes other people get 
brought into the blame when they, they start throwing blame around everyone. Social Security and disability has its own problems, but when it comes to what they're trying to get done, it has nothing to do whether you, it's all about can you work physically or mentally. It has nothing to do with where you live or anything like that. Right. Um, and it's can you, can you theoretically work? But I know, I knew when I was working for the agency, I would write denial for people who I knew could not work. And it's tough, right? Because you see medical records and you think, I know with this combination of impairments that this person's not going to be able to go get a job, a full-time job anyway, and be able to stay in that job. But the judge's decision would say something like, well, this person can have some supervision. This person can do simple, unskilled work routine and repetitive tasks. The person can stand. They just can't lift a lot. And so that's what the decisions do is they go function by function. And those are presented to a vocational expert and the vocational expert says, yeah, given all that, you could do this job. Yeah. You could stuff and you could stuff envelopes all day, but like there, there, those jobs don't exist. There's, a job, and even if you could do that job, could you get to work? Yeah. You know, a lot of people have difficulty with public transportation. They don't have a car. They live in a northern climate like you do in Pennsylvania. Could you get to work? Can you uh, can you work for two hours? And then some people will be told they need a break. Well, this person needs to be able to lie down fifteen minutes every two hours. Yeah. Well, that person probably is never going to work, but the vocational expert will say, oh, well, you get a 15-minute break every two hours, so you can take three seconds to get into the break room and you could lie down during your break. But, of course, that's not reality. Anyone who has a job knows that's not reality. You're not going to be permitted to lie down during your breaks and during your entire lunch break. Right, but there, there's, so, there's yeah. a lot of qualification, like with me with my vision problems. I've always found ways to work and, and push the envelope, but... There's a lot of people with visual impairment or blindness. Like I know a blind guy who does woodwork with his hands, uses chainsaws and all kinds of things. And but no one's going to hire him because they look at him as a liability. Now again, this is, has nothing to do with Social Security. This is, I mean, he has disability, so this isn't right. And now, now let's change that a little bit because the more common, the most common impairments are musculoskeletal and mental impairments. Right. So if we just take a typical claimant who has trouble standing up and walking can't lift a whole lot, needs to sit down, uh, maybe sometimes needs to use a cane just for stability. Yeah. Even that person, you know, when that person comes in for a job interview, they're not going to present themselves very well. They're not going to seem like a reliable employee. So, yeah, maybe they can technically meet the requirements of the actual job, but you're right the likelihood of that person being hired is really, really low. And so, but well, you also, if you look at a lot of the people who are hired, there's a lot of like abysmal, like sighted, able bodied people that are hired on a daily basis and they're useless as, as workers. I mean, you see them every day, regardless of whether it's McDonald's or, you know, a law firm, you see a lot of useless workers where the thing is where people with disabilities. And again, I, I have to defend them because I am one. 
there's a lot of people that underlook and just misuse us because they think, oh, we're just good enough just to bag groceries. And again, I get it. I'm in my 30s. I'm young and I'm in a decent shape and whatever. And I have the mental capacity to be able to just say, you know, fuck off. I'm going to do what I got to do and I'm going to fight for my job. But there's a lot of people that are just trying so hard to find any kind of work and they actually would be a good employee. And yes, from the outside, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. And yes, there are people that need certain qualifications that may not be the greatest. And I get it. Some, some people are very hard to hire. Not everyone is a good hire, but there are a lot of people that are bad hires right now that are, they have no complaints in the world when it comes to their physical or mental capabilities. And they would pass someone like me up just because my eyes are not perfect. And I've been in many job interviews where they're like, oh, you, you're great. We love your energy. We love what you bring to the table. We'll, we'll get back to you. And I already know what that means. And they're not, it's a subliminal, you know, because you can, you can see what something is racist or homophobic. But when it comes to discrimination against people with disabilities, it's much harder to prove because people are very uncomfortable with us and they don't know how to, to deal with us. They don't want to let us work. And there are places that do. There's a lot of nonprofits and stuff, but they t- even they take advantage of us. And it, yeah, and and also a lot of times, unless someone has a high degree of specific education, like for example, if someone is a doctor and they have a vision impairment, well, maybe they can do phone consultations, right? Uh, like if someone's a lawyer, like me, highly specialized, that might be more likely that that person can get a job. But most social security claimants have a high school education. Uh, and some people have not even finished high school. So the type of job that we're talking about is more something like grocery bagger, dishwasher, uh, store greeter. We're talking minimum wage jobs. And a lot of people will try and do that work. I mean, I, I know because I can see earnings records. And I can see when this person says, look, I tried to work and I couldn't, or I got fired, or I, I had trouble getting to work, or something happened at work, or I got hurt. I got hurt and they fired me, which I don't know if that's legal because that's not my area of expertise. I don't do workers' comp, but I see so many cases where someone just got hurt and that was their last day on the job. And they have some kind of workers' comp settlement that runs out and they go and file for social security disability. But yeah, a lot of, you're saying that a lot of people have trouble getting hired and that's true, but a lot of people are able to get hired for service jobs or warehouse jobs. The problem is (laughs) what they've said is I can't work full time. I can't do this. This isn't sustainable. And when the agency says no, They'll try and go actually get a job because they have no other choice. And turns out they were right. It's not sustainable. They aren't able to work. Something physically or mentally prevents them from maintaining that job. And it's just, it's a really sad situation because I know when I'm writing an unfavorable decision for someone, I know that person can't work and I know they're not going to be able to work. And I know that this is going to be devastating for the person to read it. Um, but, you know, that, that was part of the job. And that, that was the worst part of the job, which w- was telling the judge, hey, I think we should pay this claim. I, I think this person qualifies. Here's why. Here's something in the medical evidence 
that tells me they have more limitations than you found that they have. And, but it's the judge's decision. And when the judge says, no, we're denying that one. And I, you know, having to do that over and over and over for so many years, I just, it wore, wore me down and I got tired of doing that. And I did make favorable decisions. I did write a lot of claim approvals, but the, it's just the nature of my job was most of my time was spent writing denial decisions. And I just didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I can imagine a lot of people here and especially, you know, like I said, I, I deal a lot with the disability community and how much they're just kind of a statistic. And then even though what you're doing, you're doing what you're told to do. It's your job. Like you can't just, you have a heart, but I'm sure it's probably hard to get desensitized and just go, well, screw it. Like, yes, yes, no, yes. Like you don't really, I, I don't know. Like, do you feel like if you actually got to meet the person and they actually got to say their case, not through a piece of paper or some documents, that they actually could like show you how they are and what, what, how they look and what, what they're about. Like, do you think it would make it, I mean, I'm sure emotionally would make it harder for you. Well, I certainly didn't, I didn't need convincing a lot of the time. And there were a lot of times when I would be handed instructions to say, did I this claim? And I would go to the judge and say, you know, here's my argument for why we should approve it. And there were plenty of times during my career where I was able to convince the judge to approve a claim. No one ever knows about that, right? They just get a favorable decision. They don't know that someone really went to bat for them and got that work to get that claim approved. Um, but that, that does happen as well. But the thing is, when you get a, a, an unfavorable instruction from a judge, and you can't convince the judge, even though the judge has had that person in a hearing and the judge has seen them and the judge has spoken to them and the judge still wants to deny their claim and there's no way to convince the judge otherwise. Yeah, that, that does, it does wear you down over time. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I, the, I don't know what the average career length is for an attorney advisor within social security. I know I was there a lot longer than other people. I saw a lot of people come and go in my office when I was there. Um, I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining because again, it's a high paying job where I sit in an office and I know from what I've seen over my career that a lot of people get paid a lot less than me to do jobs that are a lot harder than mine. Um, so I'm not complaining. Um, but I am explaining why I decided that it would be much better use of my time to leave the agency and to write this book and to provide this reference and this information to people. To, I, I, there was a limited amount I could do to help claimants as an agency employee. And I felt like writing this book and giving this resource to people was a way to have a lot more of a positive impact. Yeah, I think what it, you know, it sucks because anytime money's involved, things just get so convoluted and screwed up. And you know, even though you're you're doing your job, it's also affecting a lot of people that you know are having a tough time in life. I mean, I mean, it's it's not hard to look out in the world right now and see a lot of bad that's going on. And there's a lot of people that just need something to go their way especially when you have a disability that's impacting you. And, and, you know, I know just on a basic thing, sometimes I have a mental breakdown because, 
you know, the toast got jammed in the toaster. Cause it's just like, really can one thing go my way. And when you're looking for that piece of paper that comes in an envelope and says, Hey, you haven't been approved and you know, you have a disability, you know, your body hurts, you know, something's wrong. And, and someone who doesn't have a disability doesn't really, I mean, they can look at your medical records and all that and go based on certain things, but not everything is clear cut either. Cause there's plenty of doctors. Like I had a doctor told me I'd never make it. I'd be dead. I told a doctor told me I'd be blind by now. I've had doctors tell me a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff in my medical history that's there. You know, I know someone who, who survived a stroke and there was a 99.9% chance she was going to die. Like there's a lot of stuff that's out there in our medical history that says, sure, this is for sure. This is why they are where they are, why they're not. But it's, it's paperwork that says what we are, but we know deep. And again, I know there are people like, again, like I said, are milking her people that aren't as bad as they say they are and all that. But there's a lot of us, again, I'm fortunate enough that I've gotten my disability, but I know that for sure there's a bunch of people that I know for sure that have disabilities and they, they have not been approved and now they're going to have to fight it in court and all that. Um, and I know for sure they have a disability. I know a girl who's visually impaired and, and her eyes are just as bad as mine and she can't get disability right now. And I don't understand why. Um, but you got somebody who has perfect vision in a suit sitting in, like you said, in a cold air conditioning room telling her that her eyes are not bad enough so she can't get disability. And it, it's very disheartening. And I know not, you know, not, like I said, that's why I wanted to separate what was on you guys or the people who do your job from, you know, like I said, the, the, the workplace is not your, it's all about, can you physically or mentally work? It's not about, we don't care if you can or can't work. And, and that's why a lot of us feel like the system is so rigged against us. Cause it, it's, and again, you could say this for people who are, are newly fresh out of jail, who are trying to change their lives. There's a lot of people that are homeless people. It's not just people with disabilities, but we're specifically talking about this. Um, and it, it, it comes down on you. Like I have a job that pays decent and I have my disability and, you know, we talked about it yesterday and I, I do, I do pretty decent, but I know as much as I don't love this job, it's okay. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to push this with the podcast and other things. I'm trying to have these other endeavors, but I know if I lost this job tomorrow, it's going to be hard for me to find another job. And it's not that I physically can't do something. It's just people look at me on the outside and go, okay, his eyes look a little weird. He can't do this. And yet I guarantee I would bust your ass and not you, but anyone, I, I'm a very hard worker and I will prove not only to myself, but to other people that I can do it. Yeah. There may be a couple little things I may need in certain large print or something, but if you can't do that, like, I don't know how that's not some sort of discrimination because you know, it's there again, again, I know there's some people that really are trying for jobs that they really would never qualify for. But again, like it, I said, it's about the system is really screwed up in every way. It, it is. Yeah, it is a life-changing piece of paper, that disability decision. And that, it makes it even more difficult knowing that to write unfavorable decisions because I know how devastating that decision is to the person who's going to read it. And you said something. You said people feel like uh, the system is rigged. And the thing is, the reason people feel, I, I don't, I don't know if rigged is the right word. It, it's that the system is designed that way. The deck is definitely stacked against the claimant, sure. yeah. but that's not by accident. The system is designed that way. The system is designed to make it incredibly difficult for you to prove you're disabled. And take the example of a vision impairment. There are certain types of impairments 
that I just know from experience are more likely to result in a disability finding and there are other types of impairments where it's nearly impossible. And the thing with hearing and vision impairment is unless you meet one of those listed impairments in the social security listings, and I, I explain what those are in part two of the book, but unless you meet the very strict criteria of a listing, I can almost guarantee you that that impairment alone will not result in a finding of disability. And the reason I know that is I know from hearing vocational experts testify at hearings over many, many years, as the attorney writing the decision, I get to listen to the hearing. And so I, I hear the judge interacting with the claimant and with the vocational expert. I know that if someone, for example, just has a vision impairment, I know that there are going to be certain occupations that the vocational expert will say that person can do. The vocational experts are just like anybody else. They try and make their job as easy for them as possible. So they know there are certain impairments or combinations of impairments that will result in certain testimony. In other words, if I get someone who has just a vision impairment, well, I know that this person can do these three jobs, and the vocational experts will typically offer those same occupations in their testimony every time. So if someone just has a hearing impairment, well, I know there are certain occupations that don't require good hearing. If someone has a vision impairment, I know that there are certain occupations that don't require perfect vision. And it gets, it's different when you get to combinations of impairments, obviously, because another impairment could make performance of those particular occupations impossible. But the unwritten part of this is that the judge can look through your medical records and within 10 or 15 minutes know whether or not you're going to be approved. Before you even step into your hearing, you, you go into that hearing thinking, I'm going to convince the judge that I'm disabled. Most of the times, that judge has already made the decision before your hearing even begins. But, I mean, that's and cool. that's probably really difficult to hear. Yeah, that's because that, then, you, then you think, I, have no, I had no shot. I had no realistic chance of being approved. Yeah. No, but I mean, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah, you're right. A lot of, but again, we're talking about specifically this, but there's most systems that have been built many years ago that are built this way and it's stacked against a lot. I mean, like I said, like, like with prisoners trying to rehabilitate themselves coming out there, it's going to be hard for them to find a job, even though they're on the right track and they, you know, they're, they're over what they did and it's very hard for them to really rehabilitate themselves because no one wants to hire a felon. Um, yeah. So- the disability system is not really there to help you. It's, that's what it's supposed to be, but it's not really there to help you. It's certainly not there to help you get a job. No. If you absolute, if you have some kind of medical condition and you absolutely cannot do any job that exists in the national economy, and think about how many jobs there are in the national economy, how many different types of occupations there are. There are a lot, and there's a wide variety, and the judge has to find that you can't do any work that exists in significant numbers in the national economy. 
if you beat that standard, we'll give you a little bit of benefits that you've earned and paid for and funded, and we'll help you out a little bit. It's not a lot, as you know. So it's it's certainly not anything that people are going to commit fraud over and risk prison time over. It's a really high standard. You have to show significant amount of medical records, prove that you can't do any job that exists in the national economy, prove that that's the case for a full 12 months, and then maybe we'll give you a little bit of benefits to help you pay rent and buy food. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a good system. No. And that's why I know we're at a, almost out of time. That's why near the end of the book, I talk about how the system could possibly be changed to actually cost way less and yet be way more efficient at giving people the public benefits. Can you give at least one that they not only need, but that they've earned? Can you can you at least give one quick example uh, of how the system could be improved? Yeah. Well, so. I talk uh, near the end of the book about a universal basic income, and a lot of other countries have tried this. This is not a new thing, but basically, if you think about the size of the bureaucracy, I mean, Social Security has tens of thousands of employees. We're paying all of these employees to administer a program to decide this person should get 1500 bucks a month and this person shouldn't. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of employees, and that's a lot of salaries, and that's a lot of healthcare benefits. And if the government just, instead of paying all of this bureaucracy, literally just took out the qualifications and just handed people money, just a universal payment, it would be a lot cheaper, a lot more effective. People wouldn't have to wait. They wouldn't have to qualify. When there's a pandemic, they would already have a monthly payment coming to them. You wouldn't need Congress to scramble and spend $6 trillion to do what was essentially a universal payment, right? And and this is not a far-fetched idea. There are a lot of European countries that do this. The United Kingdom set up a universal credit and universal payment system about 10 years ago. So it's not out there. It's not far-fetched. It would be a lot cheaper, a lot more efficient, and it would get people the benefits that they've worked for and that they've earned and that they deserve. Yeah, I do. Look, I, I'm, I will always say like I'm team disability. I always fight for people with disabilities, but there is one part that a lot of us try to ignore is that sometimes it's the same thing with like the stimulus checks. A lot of people didn't want to work. It's like you're given money when you're given free money for not doing anything. Again, in this case, you're given money because it, it's a payout. Just say because because you're, you're you're sickly, you have some sort of problem. I get that, but a lot of people get those checks and they eventually they're they're happy. I got my money, and again, it's not a lot, but to them, it is. It's something. It's a security blanket. But there are a lot of people that just then don't want to work, even though they can still. Like for me, I can. I work. I work. Um, my my job is all right. It pays okay. Um, but but giving someone a thousand bucks a month doesn't dis discourage work because uh, as, in other words, if you give someone just barely enough to get to, to not starve, that's not discouraging work because nobody wants to just sit in a studio apartment, not in the nice end of town and eat ramen. 
Yeah, but you say so. I, I, I'm not saying we the, a universal payment would discourage. I'm not saying to give out enough to discourage people from working, but what I am saying is this system where we make people qualify for benefits. We spend so much on deciding who should get the benefits and who shouldn't. We would spend a lot less money and take away a lot of the hardships for people such as yourself and the people you've been talking about today. If we just gave people universal credit, and, and by the way, that also just helps with normal uh, cyclical economy. Yeah. When the economy starts contracting and goes into a recession and people lose their jobs, you know, it's not just for people who are disabled. It, when that normal cycle happens, those people don't stop paying their rent. Those landlords don't stop getting paid. People don't need to stop paying interest on their loans, people can keep buying food. It prevents the economy from spiraling out of control. Yeah. No, I, I wasn't going necessarily with your resolution, like the solution to the problem. I just mean in general, there's a lot of people that don't want to go out and work because of the embarrassment of, of how the job market is. And, and it, there's a lot of, trust me, I've been out there trying to get jobs and, and you, you deal with a lot of embarrassing situations where you put yourself in. Um, where it's just, you know what they're trying to tiptoe around your problem without completely discriminating against you because then that would be illegal. So there's not really anything in the middle that just goes, hey, let's help these people find jobs. Let's help them get jobs. And you can say, yeah, there's these little side little things, these little programs, but in general, they don't even really know how to deal with people with disabilities because I've seen- Yeah, and that's- yeah, and as you're saying, that's not what the social security program does. Right. And then so as far as will we help you get a job? No, there, there are state programs for that. Um, but yeah, that's not what social security does. It's an antiquated program and it's a program and it's almost a hundred years old. So of course it's antiquated and it's, it gets updated at the margins every so often, but the general premise of the program is, is really, really antiquated. And, it would be great if we had some sort of wholesale revision to the program. But as you know, that's, it's a, anytime you're talking about tinkering at all with social security, if they don't call it the third rail for nothing, right? That it's, it's a program that no member of Congress wants to talk about completely overhauling because they'll either be accused of wanting to spend too much money or they'll be accused of wanting to get rid of a program that so many people rely on. Yeah. Um, last question. Like, there's always been this talk of, oh, you know, someday it will no longer exist. Is that? Do you feel like that's a possibility? That Social Security will no, be gone. I, I, no, I don't. And the that this is all spin. Uh, every year, the the trust fund puts out a report about the state of the finances, um, but that's. I don't think that that'll happen for several reasons. And that's, it's not really my area of expertise because I did disability, but the, the tax on income on what you pay social security tax, Congress raises that every year and they could keep raising that to get more taxes in to the system. And also it's 2022. I hate to say this, but the baby boomer generation is, already for the most part in collecting retirement and at some point just based on average life expectancy those people will no longer be with us 
And when that baby boober generation, this, this was supposed to be the problematic period, not enough workers and too many people receiving retirement, right? Yeah. Well, once you pass away, you're no longer receiving benefits and those benefits can't be inherited. The benefits just stop. So once the baby boomer generation is no longer with us, that will ease some strain on the system. And so if, if the system is surviving now through the baby boomer retirement, uh, yeah, I don't see any reason why there, there will be any significant strain on the system moving forward. Yeah, I, I just it's always one of those things. It's kind of like when when you know like someone shoots up a school and it's like oh here they go they're gonna take our guns now. Like it's always something that's it's just this kind of theory that someone comes up with like oh security, so you know one day social security won't be here anymore, and it's like I, I guess yeah I I mean it's kind of constantly change and evolve right and the cap on income on which you pay the tax will go up and the benefit amounts might go down or the retirement get, might get raised slightly. So Congress can tinker with the program and every time you make one small change, because we're talking you know, 300 million people, it, 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 one small change has an enormous impact. But uh, the Social Security Administration and the, the committees in Congress that manage Social Security, they know the nuances of the Social Security budget. And so there's there's just no way that Social Security is ever going to run out of money. Yeah, well, good to know. So you want to actually, you talked about it so much, you might as well promote your book. Yeah, thank you. It's called Social Security Disability Revealed, Why It's So Hard to Access Benefits and What You Can Do About It. And you can go to bishonspublishing.com, B-I-S-H-I-N-S, publishing, all one word, bishonspublishing.com. And there's links there to all the different places to buy the book. All right, buddy. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. And hopefully it helps somebody. There's a lot of information out there that people are lacking. And hopefully this will give them some to actually figure out what the problem is. <clears throat> all right guys uh i'll see you guys on the next one um i'm really tired i got a headache bullets here he's purring you want to purr for everybody cheer everybody up they like when you contribute you know that they say you're my co-host and then you don't contribute i don't understand that but it's good you contributed this episode he's happy he's been laying here the whole time and um uh yeah guys i don't know how to feel about this episode i really don't i i know he means well and he you know and all but i know that's gonna probably upset a lot of people just to how he goes about it and how he talks about it i I guess i don't think he's a bad guy at all i think he he, he's just giving you information he's just telling you how the system is regardless if you agree how the system should work or shouldn't that's how it is um so, yeah, you kind of feel shitty in the end because you really realize how, like, you get a little insight on how rigged the system is. And I know he didn't want to really completely go with rigged, but it's pretty rigged, especially for, for a lot of people. Um, and I do know a lot of people who have legit disabilities. And um, and they're not getting approved. And then when you hear, like, oh, 50%, like, they, they so you get pushed further back until they get to you and when they want to approve you. And maybe they already hit their quota for the day. Now they have to, now you have to wait another day. And another day could be another week for you. 
And every, that money means something to those people, man. And I really, I really, man, I just, I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm thank God that I actually have my disability. Um, and I, you know, one day maybe I won't have it anymore because I would like to make enough money where I, I'm good and I don't need it. But it, it, it means a lot to me because it, it's, you know, I've fought for it and, and yeah, I fought for it with physical blood and pain and, I've also fought for mentally of just saying, look, man, I, ver- verbally, I should say, I went out and I said, give me this because this is something I need to to benefit my life. And I know so many people that are just sitting around feeling like burdens because they're not being able to work. And now they can't even get money. They can't even like like people, there's someone out there who's not disabled telling you you're not disabled. And what I was trying to get at with the whole, uh, that's why I didn't think it was the greatest conversation because he talked a lot, but what are you going to do? I feel like he, or I feel like there's a way to, to my fucking brain fog is killing me today. It, it was headache and all that. Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's a way we can do better. And I, I don't like that people with disabilities aren't on any of these judges. Like they're, they're not any of these judges. They can't make any decisions. You got someone just telling you that you have a disability, you don't, and you qualify, or you don't. This money means a lot to people. Oh, I knew I was getting that. Like when it comes to that gray area of these people that are taking advantage of the system and the people who are milking it for whatever they can, regardless if it's a small percentage or not, it, they're still out there and they are messing it up for those um, who really need this money, really need it. And, and I get it. Like when he says he can't just approve you just because I feel bad for you. I get that. Man, but it's just there's, there's got to be a middle ground. There's got to be something. Um, even if it's just hey, here's disability for a little while, something that just can benefit someone's life financially. Because we're in this stupid world, we have to have money to live. Money is everything, and it sucks that it does. It shouldn't be the bane of our existence. Money, like I wish I didn't need nine hundred dollars to pay my rent. You know, I wish I didn't need money for everything. Um, and it just makes everything because it's like humans suck. And I know maybe I'm going to go on a tirade here that how much people suck, but they do. It, it, you know, you got someone who's just some balding guy sitting in an office in a suit, chilling, just going like, ah, next, no. And, you know, man, it's, again, that's where the mental stuff comes into it because it's hard to tell someone they're not mentally disabled or they're not disabled when mentally, like, they do believe that. And, you don't have anyone coming out and going like, hey, man, I got you. Here, here, i get you a job. Like, here's a place to... No, there's a lot of people that live in small... I live in a small town. There's not a lot of places that would hire me. And it has nothing to do with what I physically can do. It's just how they see me through their perfect vision. And that's... It's, it's terrifying. and It's it's heartbreaking, man. And I really... Like, I know that this is my way of trying to help and... But I don't know how to help, man. It really breaks my heart to know that there's so many people trying to just make some sort of living in this world, and they can't. And they continue to get told no. And they and everyone says, well, believe in God, and God's got you, and there's always different ways of how you should get through life, but you don't, like, you, you can't take someone's individual struggle and and just immediately just say, like, yeah, there's a way out of this. Because I, I, I don't know if there is a way out of everyone's struggle. You know, like, I don't, I really don't know. And I'm not trying to be a, a Debbie Downer here, trying to just bring everyone down. But, man, 
it really shows you how fucked up this system is. And it, and it connects to all the other systems that are all fucked up. Because they were started so long ago. You know, I was bringing up the gun issue because so many people talk about how when, when they created um, the, the, the rights for... Uh, God, my fucking brain. Oh, God, it sucks today. When it, when, you know, the, the amendment... Sorry, the Second Amendment for we can bear arms, the, the right to bear arms... You know, a lot of people bring up the argument that, well, they, that's when they had muskets and little, you know, pew-pew guns. Now we have all these assault rifles and rocket launchers, and it's like, there's an argument to that. Like, a lot of stuff was created on, you know, again, we also, at one point, slavery was okay. Obviously, slavery is not okay. Like, you have to adjust some of these amendments and these systems, because they're so broken, they want someone to come out. I keep bringing up the jail thing because they want people to get out of jail and just be decent humans, but they were just locked in a cage like an animal for so long. And again, a lot of them deserve it. But then they go, okay, I want to be rehabilitated. I want to be different. I want to be good now. I want to, I want to you know, add something to society. And then society says, well, no, you're an animal. You're still an animal just because you're not in that cage. I don't know. I just, I just, I don't like that. And, and how we treat the homeless and how we treat people with disabilities and, and just the unfairness of, of everything. It just sucks. It really does. And I don't know. I guess I should end it on it, but I, I should end it on a happy note. But bullets done purring and I got to go do some stuff. But yeah, guys, I'm sorry I, I, I didn't bring this and lift this show up. But it, it, there's a lot of that just angers me. It saddens me of how fucked up this world is. Um. And I'll get more into it in another episode of how I've been feeling about it. Because it's just it's so screwed up, man. We can't stop fighting over crumbs. We can't stop fighting over, like, the dumbest issues. You know, you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Just stop forcing it down my throat with what you do and what I should do. I don't care. And that goes, that, that, that attributes to every issue now. You know, everything. Like, they're, they're, they're trying to pass a stimulus check in, in, in Pennsylvania here and... The Republicans are like, no, because this and this. And, and it's, it's, it's just everyone's so out of touch and no one really deals with, you know, like when, when a president say, oh, you know, Americans are this and Americans are that. And they're always wrong because you're, you're, you're generalizing a whole group of people, 330 million people, when so many of us are just useless. Like just 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 so many useless people in this country, weak and, and just fucking just like really, like I, I, it sounds messed up, and I should be being positive and and putting out a positive message. But if half the population disappeared, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Now, of course, you say that, but the, you know you're gonna end up losing some good people in that. But man, it's just there's so many people that suck. There's a lot of great people, and again, I, that's why I'm, I do this show. That's why I bring everyone. I try to bring everyone on that are. But man, you just you see so many sucky people. Um, but I'm going to end it here because I'm going to go on a tirade of just negativity. So I hope everyone does have a good day. And I hope some, I hope someone gets this guy's book and, and actually finds a way around it so they can get disability. Um, maybe there's some information that you just didn't have and now he, he, he brought it to you. And so please support him. I'm not, I, I'm, and this is not anti him. Uh, he's just doing his job. And he really, he, he said he was frustrated with the system and that's why he's doing what he's doing now. So please support him. And, and you know, I hope you can get his book and, and find something in there that maybe will lead to something good in your life when it comes to getting SSDI. It's hard to get. And I fought for it in a different way. I found a back channel. So I hope you do too. Um, 
And, you know, for those who don't have it and, and continue to be denied, keep fighting for it, man. And But also don't give up on the hope of being able to work. I know it's hard. I know a lot of people won't accept you. Um, and that's why we have to come together and try to find a place where we do fit in and where we can work together. Um, maybe people with disabilities just have to create our own lane. It, it's it's like it's kind of like how, you know, there's all these white channels and then there's BET. You know, I mean, maybe it's a bad example because BET is a shitty channel. But... At least they have a network. Now, I know at some point they were owned by white people, so I don't even know the network. I mean, so I don't know. But there, there's a lot of these there's, the, people are creating their own lane. You know, there's the gay channel, there's the black channel, there's the. We need, and I'm not talking about for television, but we have to create our own way of living because people aren't going to give us a chance. We're always going to be judged, we're all going to be ostracized. And, and it's, yes, there's people that are pushing through and, and, and finding a way to blend in, but I don't know, man. Sometimes you just realize, like, we're not accepted, and it just sucks. And you get tired of paying for your disability. Um, so I'm going to get out of here because Grandma is waiting on me. Um, I hope everybody has a good day. And uh, I love you all for real. I'm sorry for my negativity and my downness, but my mental my brain fog and just, I don't know, the subject matter just kind of got me down. And, and I feel bad for so many people because I, I am in a place of having a dis, uh, having disability. And... I'm doing okay financially, but it just it sucks. Because even me, I'm within restrictions, and I want to do more. And no matter what I do, if I if I get another higher-paying job, I'll lose my disability and my insurance, but I still have a disability. And it's just, I hate the whole idea of money. I hate we need money so much. I really, I hate it. It sucks, but... Anyway, Bullet's adorable. You guys are fucking adorable. Sexy, mon- little sexy monsters, you... Um, I'll see you guys on the next one and, uh, I hope all is well. Please hang in there. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, just please find me on Instagram or Facebook or I've given up my number. So if you guys want to talk to me, I'm around, please don't be afraid to, uh, I'm very easy to get a hold of easy access for me. I'm a, I'm a girl with no panties. <laughs> see, there you go. Let's have some humor. All right. Um, I'll see you guys next week. All right, guys. Bye.